Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Thanks, Rich. Good morning. It's good to see you in church. You're here, which is all that matters. Uh, it is great to be with you this morning. I, uh, I've been told I need to pace myself <laughs> for the next four weeks because, you know, when it comes to talking big picture for anyone that knows me, that is my sweet spot. That is my little bit in the Venn diagram as to who I am. And so uh, we have got such an exciting month ahead of us because if it is, comes as a surprise to you or you're a guest with us this morning on the 31st of March, we uh, launch our second location officially up at Northside Taramara and yeah it's pretty cool it's uh, it's all happening and we've had a great morning up there but why it's so important for us here at Crow's Nest is this that that's not the vision that's not that's a step towards the vision but launching a church is not the vision and I know there's a risk where it can because I know how people have been they're like oh my goodness yeah I'm glad we're launching Taramara now so we can stop talking about it at Crow's Nest um (laughs) That's not the vision. It's a, it's a step towards a vision. So in the coming four weeks, uh, using that for us here at Crow's Nest as a bit of our reason for why we're talking what we're talking about, this is a great opportunity for us uh, to revisit and to re-clarify, hence 2020 vision. You know, when you see clearly, you know, there was a slight play on words there because, you know, someone did let me know during the week that they said, look, 2020 vision sounds compelling, but if it's 2020, you've got about... Seven months worth of vision to go. (laughs) So you're going to run out of runway. And if you know me, we're not going to run out of runway when it comes to vision. No, I'm talking about clarifying our vision as a church. And so um, one of the ways that we could do this this morning, I just want to tell you a story about someone who left our church. Uh, It's not often that a pastor is happy to um, publicly declare stories of people that left our church. Um, But I'll share one with you anyway while we're here. And um, this particular person had been with us for years. And every now and then, as you do in church life, uh, they come up to me and say, Sam, I'm I'm leaving the church. And I said, okay, why is that? And I've got to walk a fine line here between both um, defensiveness and pride. So please know that I've prayed about this and my heart intention is right with this. But um, they said, I'm leaving the church because you guys aren't deep enough. And I went, okay. well, we love you and you've been faithful and all of that and, and we, we had a really good send-off. And Anyway, about six months to a year later, they were, they were back up here at one of our night services and I went, you're back, like you knew the door was open, you're back, it's all good. Oh, they said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not back, I've just, I brought a friend with me. I said, why do you bring a friend with you? And they said, well, I can't bring him to the church that I'm going to. 
they don't know Jesus yet. <laughs> so I brought them here. And it's single-handedly. That, that summary, like if you're ready to switch off now or you want to get back to whatever you're reading on your iPhone, that's, that's the executive summary of everything that we're going to share about in the next 20 minutes. That's who we are as a church. We, we want to be known as that church that if you've got a friend who's interested in Jesus, you've got to take them to that church, the Northside Church. And you're welcome to go to other churches and bring your non-Christian friends with you here, if, if that's your story as well. But part of the reason is, is I think you and I, we all feel this, right? Because I don't think there would be a person in the room that calls himself a follower of Jesus that doesn't know someone that they would love to know Jesus, Right? And I, I don't know about you, but I've found myself over the years with church. And we heard Duncan Robinson uh, say so wonderfully for us a couple of months back this, that when it comes down to it and we look at what we do, a lot of what we do as a church is weird. It's just weird. I love the way he said, you know, in worship, we stand there and we worship. It's like watching a person holding a watermelon. It's just, it's just weird. <laughs> And you know from my heart, all of my best mates, bar one, are non-Christians. And there isn't a week that goes by that I don't hope and pray that I'm going to find the opportunity that they can come to this place and that they can see Jesus a bit more clearly. In fact, they have been to this place and they already know that this is a place that when they, they came here, one of their wives said, you know, it was a place and I was watching videos of Madagascar and all that you guys do and I found myself in tears and it was beautiful and it was different. You know, I never want us to lose the desire to be a place for people who, in, who are disengaged with God. Because I think all of us feel that heartache that we know someone that we want to know Jesus. And we just want a place that we know and can feel comfortable that we consistently can invite them to. And they're not going to get weirded out. <laughs> Which, by the way, is how this church started, right? Many of you, core congregation up the back left there. That's how this church started out, right? You know, and in fact, Northside's copped a lot of criticism over the years, haven't we, for being that type of church? You know, can you believe there's actually uh, one of our core ladies who came back here in the 80s? She was up at Taramara, so it was great this morning. We could smile at each other. But when she moved, one of our core ladies, when she moved from another Church of Christ church, which is our denomination, to Northside, do you know that people from her old church thought that she'd backslidden? <laughs> Because back then in the 80s, we were the nightclub church. Right? Well, that was the era where like everyone was still in pews and stained glass and we were playing contemporary music. And Hillsong Church hadn't swept the world by then. And we were playing contemporary music and there were coloured lights with gels in them. The nightclub church. <laughs> That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Um, I... I I don't want us to ever stop being the church that when people look in at us because of our relentless heart to reach the unchurched, that people think that we might have backslidden in the process. Are you with me? So that's why you know, we, we are single-mindedly focused to make sure that, that we, don't, we don't drift from that and that we don't drift into so many of the things that a lot of churches can get focused on or wish for. You know, that, that, we, that we might be a place that, that just gets big. You know, we might be a place that is comfortable. Or we might be a place from every pastor's heart at the heart of heart gets big enough so you can pay your bills and you feel comfortable. I don't ever want us to be that sort of church. I want us to be the sort of church 
that engages the disengaged. Because here's the reason why. I've got a hunch. There's no research in all of this, but you might be able to affirm this for me. I've got a hunch that you have a lot of people in your life that probably don't have a problem with God or with Jesus, but they've got a problem with the church. And I, I want us, I see us as being the sort of place that could <laughs> undo that reputation that we've got at the moment. And look, you, you know, your side note, you don't, you don't have to look too far in the papers this week to see the latent angst and anger at the way that the church has acted or people within the church have acted. We want to be a church that engages people for Jesus. And here's the biggest problem that we face. You know, the biggest problem we face is not money. And it's not our buildings. And it's not our strata fees. And it's not the logistics of two locations. The biggest problem that we face and every church faces as a church is that there is a gravitational pull of every church around the world to become churches for church people. Right? And there are, there are lots of reasons why for this. I'll, I'll just give you one because we're on borrowed time here. You've got to get to brunch. Um, I'll give you the biggest reason why. The biggest reason why is this. It's because the people who aren't here aren't here. They're across the road at Rough and Bear having whole food, smashed avocado. right? And more importantly, the people that aren't here are complaining. They're not complaining about the music and they're not complaining about the lights, not complaining how the worship service went this morning and they're not complaining about what happened down in Connecticut. They're not complaining about everything. You know, There is no squeaky wheel because there's no squeaky wheel happening inside the church. And what that means is the great risk is for people like me and my position in our ministry team is that as you listen to the squeaky wheels, and it's important to take feedback constructively, but as you, as you listen to that, what happens is you then eventually begin to evolve to become a church for church people. And we want to be a church for the people who are literally sitting 15 meters away from us there. And I would dare to suggest that most of you, if we looked at the numbers, came here because we were a church in the first place that didn't cater for church people. Many of you here, the divorcees of the 1980s, I call them, they, you know, they, were the, they were regarded by Christians as the modern-day leper. Churches just didn't want to touch them, didn't know how to deal with them, messed with their theology. And yet there was a place where people found hope and healing here because they were a church for unchurched people. They were a church for disengaged Christians that loved God but had a problem with churches that were hurting them. And so let me unpack the scriptural reasons for all of this. And so that's what we want to do today. (laughs) Now that we've got the big idea, how do we become a church that engages the disengaged? Let me give you the biblical reason why for this. There's a biblical reason. It's not a Jay Bassick reason and it's not a Graham Agnew reason and it's not a Sam Haddon reason. It's a biblical reason. And the biblical reason is as simple as you can get. The biblical reason is this, that Jesus' love compels us. It compels us. There's a funny thing happening in the Greek there that actually literally means that it guides us. It both drives and guides us. It becomes like the guardrails, if it were, as to how we know whether or not we're on track or off track in terms of what we do. Because the reality is, you see, there are churches all around Sydney that get compelled for a whole range of other reasons. <laughs> you know, Notice how it says Christ's love compels us. It doesn't say that the, the fear of hell compels us. It doesn't say judgment compels us. It doesn't say getting other people's lives together compels us. It says Jesus' love 
compels us. And there are lots of churches that can rally around certain things that are the things that compel them. There are churches that rally around getting their truth and their theology right. That they're the only churches that know the truth and that everyone must come to understand their truth. There are churches that rally around the types of songs that they sing. There are churches that rally around the types of buildings that they build. But if there's anything that I want us to understand in the simplicity of it all is, is why do we do this? Because Christ's love compels us. And it means we want this to be the spearhead. I don't, I don't want us to get us confused. This is the spearhead. If anyone asks you, why does Northside do what they do? It's because Christ's love compels us. If anyone asks you, why the heck do you get out of bed in the morning to go to a church? Because Jesus' love compels me to do it. Why do you give? Why do you invest in all that? Because Jesus' love compels me to do it. Why, why do you serve? Why are you part of a group on a Tuesday night? Because Jesus' love compels me. And, and then Paul goes on to say, here's the reasons why, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because we are convinced that one died for all. Now, I want you to say it with me. Say all with me. Oh, I underlined it. Say it once more. Say all. Okay. All right. Now, the reason I'm doing this is not because I'm one of those Pentecostal preachers that are trying to get you involved. I'm, I'm doing it because... I know if I'm anything to go by is that I read that and I say all, but I don't live all. 2 Corinthians 2. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mine I do. Who, you know? Who needs scripture anyway? <laughs> because we are convinced that one died for all. And, you know, I... I say this because we are, we are sent to this in our head. I meant 1 Corinthians 5, of course, Michael, surely. <laughs> We're convinced that one died for all. I say it in, in my head, but the greatest risk for you and I is that we wall the all. We wall the all. And, and the way that we do this, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, this is the stuff that hurts people, is that we Christians think, you know, I'm for, I'm for all people. And then every now and then someone, a particular type of person, comes into our life where we think it's wonderful that they want to see Jesus. And we think it's wonderful that they might want to worship with us. And yet um, we figure that, look, from what we've assessed in their lives, there's just still that one little thing that they need to get, get together in order for Jesus to be reconciled to them. Ever seen Christians that have done that? And part of you be going, oh, I would, I would, I would never do that. I'd never do that. And I asked myself this question, and I applied this litmus test, and I'm going to give it to you. Little chlorine strip for the soul to see how you're tracking with this. Um, what type of person, if they ended up in your lounge room this week at a community group, or beside you in worship next week, what type of person, if they were next to you in church, would irk you? They would irk you or they'd make you feel uncomfortable. You know, is it, is it, is it the poor? Is it the, is it the professional? Is it the Asian? Is it the Aussie? Is it the homosexual? What, what sort of person that, that, that you would sort of react to and, and you would feel uncomfortable where, where you, you, you figure, well, you know what, they've, they've got most of their life together, but if they get this one thing right, then they can be part of us. You know, if... If ever we move to being that sort of community, that's not church. That's the NRMA, where you've got to pay to belong. And Paul said constantly in Galatians, there is no other gospel. Christ died for all. It is pretty inclusive. Last time I checked. 
And the greatest risk is that we subconsciously wall the all. We can't miss that. And that's why we can't miss this next piece of scripture. Because he said he died for all. And those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them. You know, it's pretty clear. Paul says, Jesus died to include all. Jesus died to invite all. Right? It's pretty logical. And so who are you to build walls between people who are different than you? That's logical, right? And churches, church people, family, just sit on this for a little bit, walling the all. Because I, I want to talk to those in the room that are yet to call themselves Christians. And I know there's always a bunch of people that are in this place that offends dragged you out, they've invited you, they've promised you that they'd take you to Rough and Bear for some smashed avocado after this. Whatever they did to incentivize you to get here. Here's, here's what I want you to get if you get nothing else from my message this morning. Is that when we see this in the scriptures here, God did something for you before he wants something from you. God did everything. It says in the scriptures that he was the one that reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. What reconciles means is you take two things that are incompatible and you reconcile, you bring them together. And the only way that that has happened is that that God has said, look, okay, after all this, I'm going to be the one to make the adjustment. Because we all sense that we know, whether you're a Christian or not, we all sense, if I push you hard enough, and I see this all the time in Christianity Explained, we all sense and know that there are standards within ourselves and there are standards in the universe that we just don't live up to. We know that. We sense that. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that. And, and, and God says, okay, in spite of all of that, I'll accommodate, I'll shift, I'll die for you and all of that in order that you might be engaged with me. And then he goes on to say, and here's the kicker, and then as a result, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that word ministry there, we need to retranslate that because in the, in the Greek, it's a lot simpler than that. If you, if you hear ministry, you think, you think people like me, you know, the Pope, the priest, the pastor, that's, that's the ministry team's job. Now he says, and he gave us, Literal translation, the task of reconciliation. All of us. He said, if, if, God's done this, if God's done this for you, if he's made no distinctions about who you are or where you're at, or what you did or what type of person you were in order to love you and be with you, who are you to do that to other people? And by the way, can you go pay that forward? If you understand this, can you pay that forward? Partner with me. Go into the world Help people be engaged with me because I love them and I want to be with them. Does that make sense? It should. It makes sense to my six-year-old. I was, uh, as I do each Saturday night, run my sermon past Zach. <laughs> um, because no, the way it really went down is Zach said, oh, you know, um, what are you talking about at church tomorrow, Daddy? And, and I said, oh, well... I'm going, to, I'm going to tell the church like, why we do church. And I said to him, what, 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 what do you think church is all about? And he said, church is all about God. It's not about you. <laughs> now, what I'm still trying to discern by the Holy Spirit was, was he referring to you corporately as you guys? Or about me personally. I don't know. I'm not too sure. But man, man, we should be paying our kids leaders more 
if that's the heart of what it doesn't that sum up everything that we've just talked about for the last five minutes? <laughs> we die with Christ, so it's not about you. It's not about you in the way that things get done and what our preferences are and what we're doing. It's all about him and everything that we do as a church is so that people would understand that it's all about Jesus. So I've got to ask you, you know, is, is, that how you, is that how you are living out your Christianity presently, church family? You've constantly, you've constantly heard me say, you are your church. Just because I say this aspirationally doesn't mean this is the sort of church that we will be. This is the church we see. But whether or not this is the church we'll be is up to you. Because every touch point, every interaction, every part of... Northside does not exist here. Northside exists in your workplace and in your friendship groups. And in, in, that, in that liminal space between someone's judgments and perceptions of Christianity and what they receive from you. And so do they receive this from you? I'll let you sit on that as we talk through just some, some practical points in terms of what makes, what I believe, what makes Northside, Northside. What makes us the sort of church? What sort of church do we see in 2020 and 2030 and 2050? This is the sort of stuff that will not run out in seven months' time. The first thing that makes Northside, Northside is that we want to be a church that relentlessly creates communities that engage the disengaged with Jesus. If we've been given the task of reconciliation, then we constantly want to be creating communities, places, spaces. Notice we don't say church, but communities, community groups, friendship groups. Maybe one day we'll have a whole bunch of, of discovery Bible groups in apartment box across from the Pacific High of people who are learning what it means to be Jesus way before they ever walk into this building. We want to be relentless in creating communities, places, spaces, the gathered body of Christ who are engaged, the disengaged with Jesus. The disengaged. Notice I'm not using that word unchurched because I think as, as a church, we are relentless in our vision to try and reach not only the unchurched, but the de-churched. You and I know many people in our lives who don't have a problem with God or Jesus, but they've got a problem with the church. We want to reach them as well. We want to engage the disengaged. You don't have to be a non-Christian to be disengaged. That's what we do. That's it. That's what we say. That's it. In fact, that's, that's our new vision statement. Something we've been working through as a team over the past couple of months. That's, that's our vision statement. We see a church that is relentlessly creating communities that engage, that disengage with Jesus. And I've already road tested this. I've scenario tested this. There's enough runway in that to keep us going for the next 50 years. <laughs> Some of you will be part of the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on doing that. But that, that's what we do. Someone asks, what's your church about? What do they do? They just engage the disengage with Jesus. You reckon you could remember that? It's cool, eh? As a result of that, here's why we do a, a thing that's been part of our DNA since 1985. As a result, we are relentless in communicating uncluttered Christianity. And walking, walking that fine line again of both prideful and defensive in this whole situation, that's been, and this has been one of the deep criticisms of our, of our church for 30 years. And it's this. Yeah, you're not biblical enough. Where's the Bible-based teaching? And you know what? Every time I hear that and I really wrestle through that, I think for a lot of people, you know, not all, but I think for a lot of people, 
what they really mean by that is that we, we would like messages on a Sunday that we can listen to and make us feel like we've done the hard work without doing the hard work. And, and I, as I've reflected on all of this, <laughs> Basic was a smart guy. Agnew was a smart guy. Had... <laughs> It was, it was what I realized with these guys, and I love their legacy, it was never an issue of education, but it was solely a relentless intention to be a church that when we get to this moment on the platform, that you would receive a simplicity on the other side of complexity. <laughs> 15 to 23 hours. That's, that's what it often takes by the time I get here to prep for a Sunday morning. 15 to 23 hours. Please don't ever think that the simplicity as to what we deliver um, represents laziness or at worst that we're theologically liberal or that we don't love the Bible. I might misquote the Bible, but (laughs) I still love the Bible. (laughs) But we want to find the simplicity on the other side of complexity. And you you know, I've said this to you because I spend that 15 to 23 hours doing all I can to craft for you if there's just one, a nice little pill of truth metamucil for you on a Sunday. <laughs> right? So it's, it's easy for you to swallow and then three days later it explodes inside you. That's the word of God. It's exactly what happened when Jesus taught. You know, you don't have to be spiritual to do it either. You know, gymnasiums do this. Personal trainers do this. You know, it would, it would be ludicrous if I go to my mates at DC Health across the corner and I say to Paul, my personal trainer, I walk in there going, mm, I really hope today with my little notebook, I really hope that, uh, that Paul talks about the multifaceted benefits of periodization and its impact on muscular hypertrophy. You know what that statement really is? I really, I really hope Paul talks about how long I need to be in the gym in order to grow. Which sort of message do you want your friends to hear, church? Because I, I could come to this beautiful and amazing passage and we could title this sermon, you know, the, the benefits of substitutionary atonement and its impact on individualized sanctification. Simplicity on the other side of complexity. When we come to church, are we, are we coming we come to the movies or are we going to the spiritual gym? And we will relentlessly, at the risk of, 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 of criticism, we will relentlessly try and put in front of you, because that's what you pay your personal trainer to do, and I believe that's what you pay your pastor to do, is to come into a place where it's like, can you present the word of God in such a way where it will help me grow? So we communicate uncluttered Christianity and we're unashamed of that. And we will always do that because we want to be a church that engages, that disengages with Jesus. And here's the last one. And this is probably the, this is where the rubber meets the road. But we, we are a church that, that, that engages, that disengages by investing and inviting. Investing and inviting. We're constantly doing these three simple things that we are leading, we are funding and we are inviting We're constantly um, at you to get involved and to serve, not because we need to pay the bills and do the lights, because we believe in what we do. That we want this place and this space, whether it's a community group or a Sunday, to be like the best hour that someone has in their given work week. 
an hour of transcendence and an hour of hope and an hour of challenge and an hour of growth, whatever that might mean for you, that's why we do what we do. And, and the only way that that happens is, is when you make a conscious decision to invest in that. And I'm getting straight to it unapologetically. You invest in that financially. Because don't get me wrong, I, I appreciate the guilt offerings. I really do. <laughs> you, know, you know the ones where it's like the buckets come around. It's like, oh man, the bucket, it's bucket time. It's like, what have I got in here? And I've got some loose change in here and I'll just chuck that in there. And oh, I don't have any change, but I've got, a, I've got a Target gift card. I'm sure one of the ministry tenkened. Like, I appreciate that. I do. And I'm, I'm not being facetious. Oh, I am. Um, But you and I don't get out of bed and we don't want to be a part of something. And guilt offerings don't represent the sort of life and the sort of church that we get out of bed for. And it's why over the years, the only way that we've done what we've done is because a core remnant in this church who call themselves a Northside family have constantly invested financially into this place and who have become percentage givers and tithers and have never stopped pushing the boundaries of where they can move into deeper levels of generosity and watching the ways that God can make that grow. And so over, over this coming month, there will be the call. It's coming. I'm giving you advance notice. It's, it's, it's coming. There will be the call that if it is your first time, if you call this place your spiritual home, there will be a call to consider maybe for you it's the first time that you've given on a regular basis. And there will come to the call for the rest of us, church, that if we are percentage givers, whether we've been doing that for 30 years or three years, can you take one more step forward with God and with us in this to resource all that he is doing in this place? Because we want to create a church that's easy for your friends to come to. We, my part of the bargain and the ministry team's part of the bargain is we will use those resources and steward them the best way possible to create spaces that you can invite your friends to. But more importantly, to help equip you to be the sort of person that's attractive to the watching world. And we will lead that and then we will invest in that together. And then we will invite people into that. But that's how we will continue to do what we do as a church. And here's the real reason why. Let me finish with this story as we finish this morning. Um, I was having a chat with a guy at the night service a couple of weeks back and he was sitting in the chairs over there. And um, he came up to me and he said, Sam, I'm not sure if I'm still ready to believe yet. But every time I come to your church, I feel like I can grow. And then he said, but the way that you guys talk about things just makes sense. I had to look it up on our church database. He's been coming since like April 2017. <laughs> That's two years. Two years of sitting on the fringes, watching in, looking at Jesus, looking at us. And there's something beautiful and attractive and intriguing about it. Not because of what I say, but because of what God is doing amongst us. That's why we do what we do. You know what, and some of you this morning might be exactly in his place. Maybe it's your first time here and you're watching in and you're scared of church or you're fearful or you know, you've know got all these different bricks in your wall between you and God, guilt, or I've got to get my life together or I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be part of all of this community. You know, I want you to understand that we, we do this so that you can see Jesus just that little bit more clearly. But for the rest of the church family, guys, we, we have an opportunity to leave the local church of Jesus Christ in better shape than we found it. And praise God, since the day we've started, that's been his truth. 
We've got an opportunity ahead of us in the next month and in the coming years and the years to come. We've got a wonderful opportunity to continue to nurture those little ones downstairs. You know the little ones that actually get church better than probably you and I this morning? The ones who know it's not about them? We've got the opportunity to raise an entire generation where they grow up never knowing that church was boring. (laughs) And so don't tell them. My kids and many of your kids are growing up where it is just normal life to praise God and to love Jesus and to serve and to be part of groups and do life together. And of course, you're going to invite your friends from primary school to come and see your church. Why wouldn't you do that? We've got an opportunity to create a place where it's like 85-year-olds can hang out with five-year-olds and it's not weird because the church is the last frontier of the family in our society at the moment. We've got an opportunity to build a place where your friends and my friends, the ones that our hearts are aching for, that you can be absolutely rock-solid sure that we, and this is what drives us, would be the sort of place where you can comfortably invite them to and it's consistent and it's real and it's authentic and they're going to see Jesus. That might be a little bit inspirational. But one thing I'm absolutely convinced on in this place, it's that the love of Christ compels us the love of christ compels us to be the sort of church that just wants to engage the disengaged with jesus that's why we do it that's what we do let's pray father help us with this this morning i want to thank you for Um, So many who are a part of this church family that have been part of that type of vision for so many years. And I thank you for the fruit that we are seeing at present in the life of our church. Lord, we would ask, particularly as we are launched Taramara up into the upper north shore, that you would uh, be preparing people's hearts. We would ask that as we're preparing to let a box drop 18,000 homes in that area up in the up on North Shore, that Lord, now each of us would join together shoulder to shoulder in committing that area of Sydney to you. And that there might be someone sitting in their home right now or brunching at a cafe somewhere who's uh, yet to know or understand the way that your mighty plans are about to get engineered for their circumstances, that we would dare to believe as a church that there are people that you already have in, 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 in your mind and that you are seeing that you want to draw to us. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would move in that space. Lord, we pray for the congregation up at Taramara as they deal with the seismic changes that they've seen in six months to their church. But, Father, I thank you for the heart and the spirit that I see of so many of those core members up there. We thank you for the new life and for the families and for the Northsiders from Crow's Nest who have gone up there and committed to that. Lord, we commit all of them to you. But most specifically, Father, for each and every one of us, May we continue to be a place that does all we can to not wall the all. That you would challenge our mindsets and our hearts as we move into this moment with you, Father. That we would be a community of radical openness. And a community of absolute radical clarity that we want to point people towards your love. Help us become that, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.